This is a fascinating story, and it's one that's been around for an awfully long time. This is a 100-year-old mystery that uh, people today still wonder, you know, what happened to the missing millionaire? His name was Ambrose Small. He was a fast mover. He was a Canadian theater empresario. And the backstory to this crime mystery is that this mover and shaker kind of just vanished without a trace. He just made what would have been his biggest deal of his life 24 hours earlier. And then the 50-year-old, 53-year-old would vanish from his office of Toronto's old Grand Opera, leaving behind a wife, his life, a string of enemies, and a $2 million fortune. Because he had just deposited the check of selling these theaters across Ontario. And he was gone. How did they not solve this? It's been 100 years. Let's find out. Katie Dobbs is a writer for the Toronto Star, and she has just penned a book called The Missing Millionaire, the true story of Ambrose Small and the city obsessed with finding him. Good to have you, Katie. Thanks so much, Alex. So writing the columns was not quite enough. You had to dive into this unsolved murder mystery. Um, Take us back to 100 years ago. What is the fascination in particular with this case? Well, I think right away, um, when this case hit the papers, it was a month after Ambrose went missing. So that was kind of interesting. He left, as you said in your intro, uh, vanished without a trace on December 2nd after closing that big business deal. And nobody reported him missing to police. Not even his wife? two weeks. Not even his wife. And this is, you know, immediately kind of raises some suspicion. Um, So Ambrose, uh, to get a bit into his personal background... He had some marriage troubles. He had a mistress, and his wife knew about it. And she told, you know, close friends and family, I don't want to really make too much of a fuss because he might be away with her, and I don't want him to get mad at me when he comes back and sees his name in the paper and his face splashed all over the place. So she doesn't say anything. Uh, And you could look at that right away as being very suspicious. Uh, But his uh, friends at the theater notice, you know, this isn't really like him. Uh, He usually sends a telegram. Uh, We usually see money coming in and out of the accounts. And they are the ones who go to police in the middle of December. And the police start poking around. And people know Ambrose Small in Toronto in those days. He's not like a, a city builder type guy, but he is, as you said, kind of a mover and shaker, very secretive, uh, really well known in the theater world. And so when it comes out that he's missing, everyone is just obsessed with the fact as well that he's this new millionaire. And where is he gone? Right. Because back in 1919, you know, a couple of million in the in the bank would make you a pretty big, uh, big mover and shaker around there. Um, But it's interesting because this guy owned a number of theaters across Ontario. So he'd kind of be like um, the Garth Drabinsky and uh, what's the other fellow's name? Uh, of the um, theater world, um, I think you know who I'm talking about. When I oh, um, like a David Mervish kind of. Yes, kind of like, you know, they're, they're, that's who yeah. he would have been back in the day, but he got out of that business. Was there any known reason as to why he decided to sell off all of these theater chains? Well, he was a smart guy, and he saw that the world was changing. He had been in the business since uh, like the 1880s, 1890s, and in those days, the touring show was like the thing that you did for entertainment. Every night of the week in Toronto, you could go to a theater, and that's what people did instead of like watching TV as we do now. Well, they don't have Netflix, but, yeah. Exactly. So, so come the first World War, you know, the, the box office is already kind of being hit. The traveling show was on the decline. There was the rise of the silent film. 
There's also, you know, the labor movement is becoming stronger. There's actor strikes. He's a really smart businessman, and he sees all these changes and thinks, you know what, this is a good time to get out. I've got these uh, Montreal guys. The, the group that buys his theaters, uh, they come from railway money, mm-hmm. and they want to set up a cross-Canada network. And so he says, I'm going to sell to them, you know, get my big payday and get out of this, you know, while I still can and enjoy my life. Going back to the circle around him in your writings, whether it was looking at his wife, and I'm actually rather surprised she didn't report right away, but, you know, his gambling buddies, uh, I guess there was talk of some shady cops kind of hanging around. Did anybody ever reveal any answers or give police any substantive tip? So it's neat. There's one guy who comes in as the main investigator. His name is uh, Detective Austin Mitchell. And by the time he comes on board, it's already two weeks late so if there's a crime scene at this point if, yeah. if you are the person involved like you could easily clean this out the policing methods in these days aren't what we know them today there's no professional police schools as a detective you kind of learn on the job it's and there's no video here. there's no there's no dna there's nothing there's nothing yeah. so austin mitchell is relying on uh tips from the public and he's relying on people telling him the truth. He's hoping they're telling him the truth. And one of the criticisms of the Toronto police in this investigation, and of him in particular, is that he is too trusting of Teresa Small um, as one person. But the, the one interesting thing as he gets going in the investigation is people say to him, well, you know, um, Ambrose's personal secretary, this man named Jack Doughty, he had been kind of complaining about the boss mm-hmm. in the last couple of years as Ambrose was getting really wealthy and wanting his share of some of this, this big payout. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, no one can find Jack Doughty. This is at the end of uh, December 1919. And so then the, the police begin to hunt for him, and they find out that Jack Doughty, they believe, is connected with some money missing from Ambrose Small's vault as well. So the plot thickens. Hmm. And uh, they eventually uh, track him down, living under a different name across the country and into the United States in Oregon. So it's, it's kind of a wild tale, and the police are kind of following every lead they can. Uh, psychics enter the picture. It's a kind of a different time as well in the 1920s. You know, there's all manner of uh, investigation going on. Yeah, sure. And and he was the kind of guy, as I understand, from just kind of looking into the background, he, he was poor, uh, but he earned his way into high society. So maybe he was rejected by some and not thought of as being one of them. Um, but he, he likely, because of the money, collected enemies along the way. Are any of those who were suspects alive today? I guess they wouldn't be. No, they'd be like a thousand years old. How, how, <laughs> most of them would have yeah. died taking their secrets to the grave. That, that, is, that is what happened here. Um, the really interesting thing is that a lot of people died taking their secrets to the grave, but I, there were some really wonderful investigation documents that I found from the Ontario Provincial Police mm-hmm. as well, at the Ontario Archives. So they're, they're called in in the 30s to take another look at this case, and they pieced together their theory of what happened. And that and theory is the, what? That theory is basically that the main investigator for the Ontario Provincial Police thinks that it's a plot um, with Teresa Small, the wife, as the prime mover in all this. Um, And they think that the secretary, Jack Doughty, might have been involved. And so they piece together basically all their... Well, they both have motive. They both have motive. Um, there, there are other theories, too. Like there was like a kidnapping plot at one point. Uh, Austin Mitchell went to New York to investigate. Um, you know, they got some letters saying, we're holding Ambrose Small. You need to give us money. There, there were so many red herrings, too, in all this. Uh, people kind of trying to get a payday out of it. So the police were 
trying to do their due diligence and following up all of these tips. And I think in some ways it, it just became a matter of throwing so much at the wall that you kind of lose track of the plot. And this was a, a media obsession. I mean, the story has been covered a lot over the decades. Um, his story's old. I mean, he was the butt of jokes for a long time. He wasn't necessarily the sympathetic fellow to everybody, um, you know, with stories going around of people talking about him. So, you know, there was a t- story at one time that he was buried in the Rosedale dump. Is that still a thought? That comes up in the police uh, documents. There's a, a gentleman who's a caretaker, and he sees that he, he looks back on the night of December 2nd, 1919, and he says, you know what, that night I was out flooding the rink. He works out at a girls' school to make an ice rink. And he said he saw these men come and drag this big lump out of a car. And he says to the police afterwards, maybe this has some connection to the case. So the police go. This is back. Even back in the day, like 1919, they go and they dig this area up with a, you know, a, just a whole bunch of shovels. And they had a mechanized. It was a bit, It was a very big deal because they sure. had this mechanized shovel at the time, <laughs> and and they did this big thing, and nothing was found. But the caretaker said, you know what, the police didn't really dig deep enough, and they didn't go to the spot I told them to, and so much of the dump had grown in. I actually think at this point it was maybe ni- late 1920s when the police followed up with this tip. So there were there were sort of um, little things here and there. there. There was another case. I'm not sure if it was the Rosedale dump. I think it was another dump in 1930 when some, some boys were just playing, and they found some of Ambrose Small's personal effects in oh, the wow. dump. His Yeah, his day book. And that, that stuff to me was really neat because, as you said, Ambrose Small was this guy who had all these enemies. And uh, in his day book that he kept with him all the time, at the back, uh, folded neatly were these articles from the paper from when he was a young producer, or not producer, a young treasurer rising up the ranks. And they were the articles about how he was so well-liked. Because at the beginning of his career, he was really popular and quite a kind person. It's only when he started um, growing his wealth and becoming more ambitious that he became more cutthroat and picked up more enemies. Mm -hmm. So it it was neat to me that that was kind of the version of himself that he cherished in some ways, that he kept with him in his day book, Mm -hmm. that these kids found all these years later. And, of course, that was a media event, too. Star came out, took a picture of the kids in the dump holding up this little book. That's fascinating. I mean, well, his life yeah. may have been in theater, but ironically, in the end, it was his own life that would uh, would be so full of drama. Will we ever know, now that you've had such an intense um, and broad look into this, will we ever know what happened to him? I, I think so. I, I think the one thing I always keep in mind when I was doing this research is that I don't know what I don't know. And I, and I can't know everything. There's probably lots of people out there who have a family connection or some interesting bit of history, or, or maybe there's forgotten letters somewhere in an archive. There could be, you know, some definitive proof out there. I don't know. I, I think the mystery is kind of the powerful thing about it. And that's kind of what has kept people interested all these years is the fact that it hasn't, it has been so unknowable and you can kind of make it whatever you like you can kind of take whatever make it into a stage show (laughs) you could i mean you could do um there's so many different theories that you could just spend your whole life you know making all kinds of accounts of what happened to ambrose small and and, you know you could just could spend your whole day the rest i could spend the rest of my life doing this well you (laughs) know you've got one book down there's no stopping you from writing the uh, second and third one (laughs) well uh katie the book goes on sale today am i correct that's right. Yeah. The book launches today in all bookstores. It is called 
Uh, the Missing Millionaire, the true story of Ambrose Small and the city obsessed with finding him. Well, congratulations on completing this and finishing it and delving into the details. I really appreciate you joining us. It's a lot of fun and a big, big, um, a big accomplishment. Thank you so much, Alex. Katie, thank you. That's Katie Dobbs. Again, the book, The Missing Millionaire, the true story of Ambrose Small and a city obsessed with finding him. It has been 100 years and people still talk about this story. So you can get that book if you're interested in a real good, uh, not so much a whodunit, but a real mur- murder mystery here in the city of Toronto back in uh, the beginning of the glory days. You might like this.